0: I will be reading from Luke chapter 15, ESV version 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it?
1: all right thank you crystal and uh, young people if you didn't get the message uh, fifth sixth grade and up you're dismissed right now to go upstairs if you want to go upstairs go ahead don't feel ashamed about leaving us here and going up there and eating cupcakes and drinking chocolate milk and all that stuff well as they're leaving thank you for coming today you're a guest, we especially are glad that you're here to spend a little bit of time with us here at Gateway, our St. Albans campus, to worship. The worship team did a great job, love those songs, and uh, I hope you're here for for the Lord to speak to you. Open my heart, Lord, that you would speak uh, to me. I'm listening. Now, we've been in a series here. This is the third week of a series that I think, and our leaders believe, has the potential to really drive some momentum into our church and to um, thrust us forward as a church, not only during the series this year, but also the rest of this year and beyond. Uh, We we believe that this series is foundational, it's formative, it is uh, fundamental to who we are and what we want to accomplish. I don't know if you've been struggling with your purpose in life, Uh, maybe what God put you here to do, what you're supposed to be doing, but I I just want to tell you, you can hear some of it today, and this is something that God wants you to do, all right? Uh, So we've been in a series called Pray for One. Pray for One. Now, this is a a prayer-driven series. It is... It is a, a, about prayer, but it's, a, it's about also one. It's about reaching out into our community. We started this series in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus kind of twisted their thinking a little bit and kind of get it right side up. He challenged the first century thinking and the Old Testament Jewish theology, and he's, he said, you know, you've heard that it was said this, but I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. And it was really a prayer where he said, uh, I want you, a sermon rather, where he said, I want you to pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. Remember that verse? He said, pray for those who are your enemies and uh, and for those who persecute you. I was looking through my Twitter feed this week, just a day or two ago, and I saw where Franklin Graham, you know, the son of Billy Graham, Franklin Graham tweeted out a tweet, and, th- and this, this shows you what our culture is like all right he tweeted out a tweet that we should pray for president putin of russia that god would change his heart and so that we could avoid war okay that that's exactly what we ought to be doing right that's sermon on the mount pray for your enemies i wish you had seen the responses of so called Christians, a lot of them, in response to that tweet, you know, you have an opportunity when someone puts a tweet out, a post, you can respond to it, and they were raking him over the coals for even mentioning that we should pray for a dictator like President Putin. I mean, you know, a brutal killer, someone who, uh, you know, would kill his own people, they lambasted Franklin Graham for the suggestion that we should pray for Putin. And that's the kind of world we live in. You know, we we live in a world a whole lot like the first century world where it was eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You hate me, I'll hate you back. You lie to me, I'll lie right back to you. You cheat on me, I'll cheat on you. And so Jesus said, hey, no, no. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies and the ones who persecute you. So we started the series with that to kind of open our minds up to the fact that the people, the person that God may want us to reach could be someone you would consider your enemy. And uh, this might be a novel idea to you because you don't want to do this. But this is what Jesus said to do. You know, we've lived for two years We've lived for two years in the church, wondering if we're, going to, if we're going to survive. Church doors are closing all over the country. They're closing because churches are dying. People aren't coming anymore. There are people who have this view that church is for wimpy people, for weak people, for people who believe a myth or a lie. And so the church has circled the wagons in one way. To uh, uh, you know, to, and we wonder who's coming back and who's not coming back, and what, who can we count on? Who are going to who are going to be able to lean on when we go out and execute the mission God has for us? We've kind of been in circle the wagon mentality. This series is not a circle the wagon mentality. It is not a prayer of Jabez mentality. We're not asking God to bless me. We're not asking God to bless uh, my life or enlarge my territory or keep me from uh, pain free, uh, keep me uh, you know, from pain in this life. That's not what this is about. This is an evangelistic, let's uncircle the wagons, let's line up and let's get out into the community and let's go do what God has always said we ought to do in the world. That's what this series is about. So pray for everyone Last week, we looked at praying for anyone, and this, the idea here was that people will come across your path throughout the day, you'll run into people at the grocery store, or maybe at the pharmacy, maybe at the gas station, at your work, at just anybody, and we can't be too busy to notice that they need prayer as well. And that's who God may be putting in your path for your one. So we're praying for one, who's it going to be? Today, we're going to get specific. We're going to talk, that this message is pray for a specific someone. Pray for a specific someone. You know, your prayers are good when they're general prayers, but getting specific kind of makes it real, doesn't it? It makes it real when you get specific and you, and you start uh, really honing in on who you're praying for. It reminds me of the story of the wealthy Texan. The, the guy owned a big spread. He had oil wells, and he had just a huge place and he loved uh, people coming over and he invited them over uh, every week to a big party and in his backyard he had this swimming pool and it was just a long swimming pool it was huge and it was kind of the centerpiece of his backyard they'd have this party and then he would gather the people around and he would say you know I just want to issue a challenge if anybody can jump in and swim the length of this pool I'll give you an option of prizes you can have 10 million dollars You can uh, have half of my estate, or you can have the hand of my beautiful daughter in marriage. But before you accept this challenge, I need to tell you that there is a very hungry killer shark in the pool. So, of course, nobody took him up on this week after week after week until one time he was telling that part of the story, and everybody heard a splash. And they turned around, and there was this, this young guy in a suit. Who was swimming vigorously to the other end? I mean, he was just going at it. And they watched and they kept watching and watching, and amazingly, he made it to the other end just as the shark thudded against the wall. He got up, shook himself off, and came over to the to the crowd. And the uh, farmer, the uh, landowner guy, the rich guy came and said, Hey, nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever done that. What do you want? He said, You want 10 million? guy said, no, I don't don't want $10 million. He said, I know, you want half my estate? He said, no, no, I, I don't want half your estate. Ah, I know what you want. You want the hand of my beautiful daughter in marriage, don't you? He said, no, thank you, no, thank you. What do you want, he said? I want the name of the man who pushed me in the pool. That's what I want. So this morning, we want some names, all right? We're looking for names, and uh, you, you'll see up here on either side of me, there are sticky notes up here on the, on the wood uh, part of the stage. And there are a lot of sticky notes that have names on them, and that's from the first service. And you might have noticed if you're a regular here that we haven't done communion yet. Usually we do our communion and offering time before the sermon. But for the next few weeks, we're changing the order. We do the sermon first, and then the response time is going to include... Uh, going to the communion table and the offering table, spending time there. Also, you can come up for prayer. If you come to this platform and kneel and pray, we understand that you're you're praying. Uh, and you, you're praying by yourself. You just want to come pray. If you come to me or to Joel on the side and you want prayer, we'll pray with you. Uh, or, or you can come make a decision, find out what your next step of uh, of your journey of faith is. It could be for you a profession of faith. It could be a baptism. It could be putting down roots here as your home church, or it could be uh, maybe you need to join a small group. And if you come and ask us, we'll find out where you are and try to help you get. You can do that during this time, and you can also write your name. Pray for one. One name. If you want to disguise that name because you're afraid people will know it, you can put it in parentheses, and we'll know that name stands for another name. You can put initials, whatever you want to do, and then we're going to gather these up each week, and we're going to take them to to Shelly Sleaser, who uh, is our artist in the main lobby, and she will add these names to our board back there in a cool kind of way, and we'll be able to see this as we go through this series, and we'll be able to pray for one collectively. So that's what our response time is going to look like today, all right? So for now, what I need you to do is turn to Luke 15. If you have a Bible, if you don't, uh, you know, we just read that passage, but you know this uh, this uh, passage, Luke 15, is often called the lost chapter. It's called the lost chapter not because it was missing in the manuscripts and they had to find it. It's called the lost chapter because it talks in this Uh, in this chapter Jesus gives three parables about something that is lost and by doing this he is demonstrating or revealing the heart of God for lost people so first there's a lost sheep then there's a lost coin and then lastly there's the lost boy we could say we often call him what the prodigal son so Jesus is telling these three parables, and we're going to grab a couple things out of these parables, but before we do that, I want you to, I want you to understand the setting of this chapter, Right In uh, verses one and two, there are four groups of people mentioned uh, here who are listening to Jesus. There are tax collectors, and there are sinners, there are scribes, and there are Pharisees. Now, also, the disciples were there. They were listening. They always had to figure out where they were in the story. And so, these people were listening to Jesus on that day. <clears throat> now, the tax collectors were hated people. They were put in this, uh, in this group. You know, really, we could say there were two groups of people here. There were four mentioned, but there were really just two groups. There were what some people would call the undesirables, the tax collectors and sinners, and there were the desirables, You know, the religious leaders. Uh, There were the in in crowd and the out crowd. And as you know, if you've been around the church, been around the Bible any length of time, you know that Jesus often flipped that script. And those who seemed to be undesirable were actually in Jesus' mind, in God's heart, the desirables. If they were the undesirables, they were the desirables. If they were in the in crowd, they were really in the out crowd. Uh, You know, what's up is down. You following me? Is this too quick for you? You know, this is how Jesus flipped the script. Kingdom values were different than worldly values. If you wanted to be first, you had to be last. If you wanted to be rich, you had to be willing to let go of your possessions. If you wanted to be great, you had to become a servant. And that's the way Jesus uh, taught, and that's, that's the kingdom values. So you remember these two groups of people, tax collectors and sinners, They were the undesirables, but in Jesus' mind, they were really the desirables. And then you have the scribes and Pharisees who were the desirables, but Jesus really beats them up a lot in his ministry. They were the undesirables. They're the ones that these people hated, and there was a lot of conflict. People hated the tax collectors because they worked for the Roman government against their own people. They were the ones who, who, uh, you know, collected the taxes for the Romans or the local government. Oftentimes, I know the Chosen series portrayed this a little differently, and maybe it was different in both cases but here's how it might work the the romans would gather together these jewish men who wanted to be tax collectors and say we've got five provinces here this province is worth ten thousand dollars this is worth 20 this is worth 10 this is worth 15 which one do you want and so they would bid on these uh, provinces and they might tell the romans hey i'll take your 10 and i can get you 12 and uh and so the romans say okay you got this one but what they would do is they would bring guido along you know guido anybody know guido he's the guy you don't want to mess with and you don't want him knocking at your door they bring guido along and they wouldn't get just 12,000 they would get 15,000 and so the jewish people hated these tax collectors they were despised but Jesus finds himself with them a lot. So they were in this crowd, and you get the picture here that the tax collectors and the sinners were up front trying to listen while the scribes and Pharisees were standing in the back socially distancing with their arms crossed, criticizing, complaining, listening for anything that they could get him on, trip him up on. So that's the scene. Tax collector, sinners up front, the charlatans, the, uh, the scribes and Pharisees were in the back and Jesus is really talking to them while he's talking to everybody. And so he tells the story, three stories of something that's lost. Now there's two things I want you to get from these stories in preparation for you getting uh, a name on your heart to pray for one. First of all, God loves the One. One is a big number in God's economy. One's a big number. It's a big number. You know, the religious people were criticizing Jesus because they said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And this this is an accusation, but it's also an observation. If it's an accusation, Jesus is guilty, isn't he? He's guilty because he did eat with tax collectors and sinners. Remember Zacchaeus? Remember Levi or Matthew? Tax collectors? There were sinful women, sinful men. There were uh, lepers considered unclean. Lots of people. Jesus, it was a true statement. He ate with sinners and received them. And that shouldn't have been any surprise. You remember the verse we opened up the service with in Luke chapter 5? Jesus said, "I, I I haven't come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners to repentance. So sinners matter to God. One, the one is a big number. You know, God loves each one. That's hard for us to imagine that, that God, the Bible says in Matthew 10, loves you so much that he knows the number of hairs on your head. And Philbin, I'm looking at you, and I I don't think God it took him too long to do the counting there. What kind of a God would do that? It makes me think of a parent, you know, a new parent who's counting every finger and counting every toe and looking at every inch of that little baby's body so that she knows it, so that he understands this is my child. And the image he uses here is the image of a shepherd. And this is probably the most common image in the Bible. The whole Bible, there's this image of a shepherd, and God's the great shepherd. You know, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is what? My shepherd, and he loves me so much that he, he leads me beside uh, still waters. He, he takes me to green grass. He protects me. He does so much for me. And I don't know if you know a whole lot about this. I don't really either. I've heard a lot and read a lot, sheep are, you know, not the smartest of animals. They'll go places they can't get out of just to get the greener grass. They go maybe down in a pit or down an embankment or up an embankment, and they can't get out of that, but they're just lured by the sight of something better. And it makes me understand why you and I are kind of carrying the image of sheep in the Bible. We're the sheep. Because we'll get distracted, won't we? We'll get pulled away, we'll go to greener pastures, we'll get into a spot we can't get out of just because the spot looks better than the risk of losing my family or losing whatever it is. So this the idea of a, a shepherd losing one sheep is a common image. Now you might think, well, just one, 99 in the pig pen, uh, the, not the pig pen, but the sheep pen, and... Uh, One out there, why worry about the one? Did you know that shepherds had names for their sheep? So if you had 100 sheep, you had 100 pet names. You know, people like to name their animals. Uh, You know, I'm not talking about dogs and cats. That's kind of normal. I'm talking about their cows and their uh, horses. And, you know, uh, maybe if they've got a bunch. Jesus said in John chapter 10, listen, he said the, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice And he calls his own sheep, how? By name. He calls them by name. And and do they know his voice? Yeah, it says they know his voice. So when the shepherd's doing the roll call that night, uh, let's call him Chucky. Chucky's not here. Where's Chucky? Hey guys, where's Chucky? He didn't show up. Well, he, he was going after greener pastures. He went down that hill and we never saw him. And so the shepherd knows and loves Chucky. So he leaves the 99 and goes for the one because he's the great shepherd you know we live in a culture where one's not a big number one's not that important one and it really wasn't important to the jewish and religious leaders i don't know if you remember when jesus was about to be crucified he was put on trial the religious leaders you know they understood what was going on they knew he was innocent they knew he was innocent Because they said here uh, in the Gospel of John, the high priest said, do you not understand that it is better for you that one man should die than that the whole nation should perish? In other words, let's not lose our place here. We were grandfathered in by the Romans. We were allowed to worship one God. And if we concede that this man could be the Messiah, could be God, they'll accuse us of being just like them, worshiping God more than one God, and then we'll have to worship their gods. Let's not risk losing our face, losing our place in the nation. So one doesn't matter. Kill the one. Get rid of the one. It's just one. But you and I know God's heart. God cares about the one, doesn't he? He cares about the one. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. That's what the writer of Hebrews called him, the great shepherd of the sheep. Of the sheep. Peter called him the chief shepherd and savior of our souls. We're the sheep, they're sheep, he's the shepherd. So the one matters. And think about this woman, this woman who swept the whole house just to find this coin. Now, you may not know this, but in your, the notes of your Bible, you'll probably find out that this coin was worth a day's wages. Now, I don't know about you, maybe, let's say you make $100 a day. $100 a day, would you, if you lost a $100 bill, would you look for it? Sure, you would. Sure, you would. Now, I gotta be honest with you, sometimes I throw pennies out the window. Like if I get them back at a drive thru or something, I'll throw them out the window. And I'm only doing it to make somebody else's day. Because you know how people get excited when they see a penny? Do you pick pennies up? How many of you don't pick pennies up? I don't pick pennies up because they're kind of dirty, aren't they? I and mean, they're dirty. And they're only a penny. I mean, they're worth less and less. But if I dropped a dollar, I'd pick a dollar up. You know, if you get enough pennies, you got a dollar. But good luck with that. I got a jar full at home you can have. I'd pick a 20 up. I'd pick a 100 up. I wouldn't get all bent out of shape about losing one. This reminds me of the story of the Federal Reserve conveyor belt where there was a 20 and a 1, and they were going along together. And the, uh, the one looked over to 20 and said, hey, Alex, where you been lately? And Alex said, oh, man, I've been everywhere. I've been to, I was at Europe last week. I was in that new restaurant down the street. He said, I was at Disney World a few weeks ago. He said, man, I've been everywhere. What about you, George? Where have you been? And uh, George said, well, you know, for me, it's always the same. Church, church, church. It's the only place I go. Now, I can tell you, we love ones here at Gateway. There's enough of them. And if there's zeros beside them, we love those too. Now, everybody likes ones with zeros. This woman searched until she found it. And I want to tell you, this prodigal father, the prodigal's father, don't think for a minute that he wasn't waiting anxiously for that one. And he knew his name. He had counted his fingers and toes. Maybe the hairs on his head. And that boy was out squandering his inheritance and doing things unspeakable, living with the pigs. The Bible says he had to come to his senses before he made his way home. Now, I don't know, you know, theologically what persuasion you are, but you know, Calvinist, Calvinist reformed theology, they love the, these first two Parables because the the shepherd, you know, has to find the sheep, and the woman has to find the coin. The sheep can't find their way home by themselves, and coins don't just roll out in the middle of the floor. And Calvinists believe that, you know, you don't have a choice in the matter. You're either saved or you're not saved, and you can't do anything about it. It's all the shepherd. It's all God looking for you. But they don't like this last parable, the prodigal son, like I do, Arminians, you know, because the Bible says the boy was lost, but Father didn't go searching, he didn't go look, he waited. He waited for the, the son to come to his senses. He put the word out, hey, your dad's still got an open door for you, and you know what heaven is like, and if you'll come to your senses, you can come home. Which of these is true? Well, there's, we shouldn't really argue about these, I think they're both true. We need to look, don't we? and we need to come to our senses as well. So there's a lot we could say about these, but the one thing we can say about all three of these parables is that God, God loves the one. And the last thing I want to say is God loves a big party. Here's something in common with all three parables. There's a party. The shepherd finds the sheep. and I want you to notice in those first two parables, there's a phrase, friends and neighbors, He tells his friends and neighbors, they have a party, found the sheep. Woman finds the coin, she calls her friends and neighbors. That's what the Bible says. Woman, friends and neighbors. Shepherd, friends and neighbors. There's partying going on here. God loves a big party. And that's what Jesus says here. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. You know God loves a party. Remember Jesus' first miracle? Who remembers it? What, what was it? Turned water to wine. Where was he? He was at a party. He was at a wedding party. And and the people were amazed that this is the good stuff. We're really ready to party now. You know, Jesus liked to party so much. And I know when you hear my word party, some of you who grew up in the 60s and 70s, I know what you're thinking. Don't think that kind of party, okay? Think uh, think a good wholesome get together with friends, laughter and rejoicing and encouraging of one another. That's the kind of party that God likes. He likes that kind of party. With nobody barred, everybody's welcome. You don't have to live, you know, at this level of uh, ec- economy or uh, drive this. Or You're welcome to this party. And so that's what he's saying here. You know, there was a saying in the Jewish religious Uh, circles. there, And it went like this. It it went, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated than 99 who escaped God's wrath. You see, the Jewish religious leaders celebrated destruction and death. They liked it when sinners were stamped out. Remember, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus said, God likes it when sinners come home when they're saved. He likes it when someone repents and comes to him. You know, Philip Yancey said, while every other religion offers a way to earn God's approval, earn it, only Christianity dares to make it unconditional. You don't have to earn God's love. He already loves you regardless of what you did last week. And so the Jewish leaders missed this somehow. You know, the Jewish system uh, from the Old Testament was a system to condition the people. And you you ever wonder why there were so many festivals in the Jewish calendar? And they still have these festivals where they partied for a week or two weeks or a, a day. God was conditioning them to live a life of rejoicing and gratitude but they missed it, and somehow by the first century, these Jewish religious leaders were, they weren't celebrating and rejoicing, they were scowling, they were critical, they were hard on people, they were legalistic, they were angry, they were sad, and that's kind of the the picture that Jesus came into, and it broke his heart to see these religious leaders so hard on the people, so legalistic with them, and I'm afraid there are some Christians who are just like this. You know, you hear the old time preachers, I heard the old time preachers say, Some of you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. I don't know if you ever heard an old time preacher say that, but you just did, okay? And uh, that's not good, is it? We need to celebrate. We need to learn to rejoice. And th- they said about Jesus in Matthew 11, they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners we need to party more. We, we need more get-togethers for joy. You know, I'm reading Kyle Eidelman's book, One at a Time, and he tells about a time in his church at Southeast Christian in Louisville where they emphasized this in their church, and he said they had parties everywhere. They had small groups doing parties in parking lots. They would take a grill to Walmart parking lot and just set it up way in the back, and they would just invite anybody to come. You know, if you, you, you open up a grill and smoke's coming out of that, you're going to attract some people, right? Yeah, you're going to get some people. And they just gave food away and laughed, and they said, why are you doing this? They said, well, we just, we're, just, we're here for you. What do you need? Need us to pray for you? He said there were parties at bus stops There were parties in break rooms, parties in teachers' lounges. There were parties in backyards around pools, and some who didn't have a backyard big enough for a pool. He said there were parties everywhere, and the people that were reached and touched because of this, he said, is innumerable. We don't even know the people into which we planted seeds of rejoicing in the gospel. I think we need to be more intentional about gathering together and inviting the one, inviting those that we wouldn't ordinarily invite, because God loves the one and He loves a big party. Let's resolve to do that. You know, that's what the verse we read. <clears throat> Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a, ph- a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. You want to see a party break out in heaven and at church? Help a sinner come home. Help someone come back home to the Lord and find his way back into God's loving arms. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the invitation to the biggest party that will ever be thrown, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And Lord, we want to be there. And, God, uh, we all have different images in our mind of what it's going to be like, but one thing we know, there's going to be lots of laughter. There'll be no tears. There'll be no crying. There'll be no regret. There'll be a lot of party. There'll be a lot of love, a lot of rejoicing. God, we want to be there, and we want this name we're getting ready to write. We want them to be there too. That's our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name.